This is a teaching from Pastor Ben Hitzfeld at Wyatt Park Christian Church on August 7th, 2022. Christian theologians described God as a trinity, a relationship between God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of the words used to describe this divine relationship is perichoresis. We get the word choreography from this Greek word. In the beginning, God started a dance of relationship, and we all are invited to join in on this choreography of love. Grace and peace be to you in abundance. Good morning, church. It is awesome to see you this morning. Make sure that I'm okay. Uh, so we're going to be in Genesis 18 this morning is where we're going to be reading from. Genesis 18, verses 1 through 8. And if you are going to use the Pew Bibles, we have page numbers on the screen there. The title of the message today is Dancing God, and it's inspired by what Lynn and Heather led the children in this morning as they did this fantastic choreography and read from the book of Nahum, reminding us that God is our firm foundation. And so this idea of a dancing God came to mind, and as I was doing some readings this week, it just fell in line with it. And so let us read here this morning, Genesis 18, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go to verse 8. The Genesis writer says, The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. So about 12 years ago, Rebecca and I were living in Indiana, and some friends from our church invited us to attend a tartan ball. And a tartan ball, if you are unfamiliar with that, is a traditional Scottish celebration. Any Scottish heritage folks in here today? A traditional Scottish heritage with all of the foods and dancing that go along with it. Now, I was invited to be fitted for a kilt for the occasion. And at first, I was excited to wear a kilt until the night of the tartan ball. When I put on the kilt for the first time, I became incredibly self-conscious. I couldn't get comfortable sitting down with the kilt on, no matter how many times I tried to tuck the kilt under me when I sat down. 
I kept feeling like there was something showing. I kept feeling like I was putting on a show for those sitting around me. When it came time to try the food, I tried the haggis, and I didn't like it. And then the highlight of the night came up, and it was the traditional Scottish folk dances. I was content to sit at the table and watch the professional dancers do their thing. That was fine. That was fun. I enjoyed that. But then they said, all right, everybody, get out on the dance floor. We are going to teach you how to dance. And our friends, John and Kimberly, they were excited to do it. Rebecca was excited to get out and dance. And I... I don't know how, how to put this, but I don't like to dance wearing regular pants, let alone when I am wearing a kilt. But I tried to be my be I tried to be a good sport, so I got out there for the first dance and began to learn the steps. And like many traditional folk dances, the Scottish folk dances oftentimes go in a circular motion, and you, you go from one partner to the next, and you just kind of repeat the moves over and over again. And so... I just wanted to dance with Becca. I didn't want to dance with anybody else. I just wanted to dance with Becca and do the old junior high, you know, kind of sway side to side. <laughs> I could have done that just fine, right? But I committed to learning one song, and there were something like 15 different steps to remember, and I, I did my best, stuck it out for one song, and then I was ready to go back to the table for dessert and coffee. But the dances continued. They said, all right, this is going to go on for the rest of the night. Oh, goody. Oh, joy. That is so fantastic. And so for the rest of the night, for the majority of the rest of the night, Becca and our friends John and Kimberly were out on the dance floor as I was a wallflower sitting along the sidelines watching Becca dance with other good-looking men who could dance much better than me, right? And so my, my friend John Young would come up and say, come on, Ben, get out there. Don't, you know, go show off a little bit. Go have some fun. So to say that I have a complicated relationship with dancing would be an understatement. I don't have any sense of rhythm. I have no flexibility, and I worry too much about what other people think. Can anyone else relate to that in life? You worry too much about what other people think? So my favorite piece of art from history is Andre Rublev's 15th century painting, which is called The Hospitality of Abraham. It's also known as the Trinity, and this is a painting, Andre Rublev's understanding or thought of what Genesis 18 looked like. So the scripture that we just read, this is his depiction of that scene, where these three men approach Abraham and Sarah, and the three men are perceived in some way to be divine figures. They came to announce to Sarah, particularly, that she was going to bear the promised child that they had been waiting for for so many years. The text doesn't let us know how Abraham and Sarah perceived them to be divine, just that Abraham goes up to these three men and he, he bows low to them. And he perceived that because they were mere mortals, that they weren't mere mortals, that he needed to serve them. He needed to be hospitable to them. And so Abraham invited them to rest and to take shelter under a tree to make themselves comfortable. He went into where Sarah was and he said, hey, bake some bread for our guests. And then he went out and he found the choicest calf and had it slaughtered. And then in verse 8 it says that Abraham had 
the bread and the meat delivered to these three men who were sitting underneath the tree. And meanwhile, Abraham stands back, watching from a distance, as these three men eat the food that they prepared for them. So imagine preparing a meal for guests who come over to your house, you seat them at the table, you bring food to them, and you stand in an adjacent room watching them eat. Through the centuries, Christian theologians have read this passage from Genesis 18 and have speculated about the identity of the three men who visited Abraham and Sarah. Whenever we see the number three associated in scriptures with God, oftentimes we can't help but to think of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is Abraham and Sarah having some kind of manifestation of God in the flesh? Now, we don't know that. The text doesn't say whether that is so. But that hasn't stopped us from speculating and trying to make sense of this mysterious visitation. I was reading a book uh, this past week from Father Richard Rohr, a Franciscan priest who has this quote about this text in Genesis 18. He says, a place at God's table is still too much to imagine. Abraham and Sarah seem to see the Holy One in the presence of the three. And their first instinct is one of invitation and hospitality, to create a space of food and drink for them. Here we have humanity still feeding God. It will take a long time to turn that around in the human imagination. Surely we ourselves are not invited to this divine table, they presume. Rublev's painting of the scene depicts the three men as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now notice, if we go back to that picture, notice the colors that are represented in the picture, in the painting. Rublev considered gold the color of the Father. So the figure to your left, gold which signifies perfection, signifies fullness, wholeness, and being the ultimate source. The figure in the middle with the blue sash is the one who Rublev pictures to be Jesus, using the color blue because he's saying that Jesus came and lived between the earth and the sea. And so bringing together two things, and you'll see, it may be hard to see from where you're sitting, but the middle figure has two fingers up like this, perhaps indicating that in Jesus is the combination of God and man of spirit and matter jesus is the one where heaven and earth collide and are brought together and so then i bet you can't guess who the third one is over there if we're talking about father son and holy spirit has a green sash and that is representative for the holy spirit where green is sort of this color for for growth and flourishing and for life and so as you look at Rublev's painting, the focal point is on, there's a middle spot right there in the painting. There is this place at the table that the Holy Spirit figure, it's kind of hard to see from where you're sitting probably, is sort of pointing to, he's gesturing to this open spot at the table. Now those who know art and those who study art pieces through the centuries, they have seen this original painting, and they would say that there is a small rectangular point in that open spot on the table. 
where it appears that something used to be, but it perhaps fell off, and so it was painted over. So there's this sort of small rectangular portion that was added at another time. And the thought is that there was, that Rublev put a mirror there at the open spot. So that when you, the, the, the gazer at the picture, were looking on at Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dining, that you're not standing back like Abraham saying, I have no business being here, but rather you look and you see yourself in the mirror sitting there at the table dining with the Holy God with the Trinity, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we are really, we're content to observe this happen from another room. Like Abraham, we're content to sort of sit back and just let it happen. To watch the dance go on as we sit on the sidelines. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, we run in shame when God invites us to come near. And we believe that the greatest truth about ourselves is that we are too broken that we are too messed up for God to love us. Perhaps the primary storyline of the scriptures for in the Bible from beginning to end, from, from Genesis to Revelation, is that God draws near to us. That God is close, that God is an inviting God who wants his children to find their purpose in this life, living out a relationship with the God who says, come and join me at this table. Father Richard Rohr, he says that if we take the depiction of God as Trinity seriously, this is what we have to say. In the beginning was relationship. If we say that God is love, then we say in the beginning was love. A loving God, three in one, a communal God who can't help but to invite others, to create others and say, come and be a part of this loving community. Some of the early church fathers and theologians described God with the word perichoresis. Perichoresis is a Greek word where we get our word choreography from. So Lynn and Heather, thank you for the choreography this morning. Thank you for the dance this morning that you taught the kids. And kids, if there's some of you in here, thank you so much for kind of being a part of the sermon and you didn't even know it today. Choreography is all about taking different parts, different elements, uh, whether it's people, whether it's instruments, whether it's music, rhythm, and bringing them together in unison. Choreography is, get this, it's relationship itself. The relationship of moving in unison as different parts. Not each one person doing their own thing for their own glory, but everybody coming together to provide a knitted piece. Something that is, is different parts from different places. Choreography is relationship. Listen to these words here from Pastor Jonathan Marlowe about the word perichoresis. He says, theologians in the early church tried to describe this wonderful reality that we call Trinity. If any of you have ever been to a Greek wedding, you may have seen their distinctive way of dancing. It's called perichoresis. There are not two dancers, but there are at least three. They start to go in circles, weaving in and out, 
in this very beautiful pattern of motion. They start to go faster and faster, all of them staying in perfect rhythm and in sync with each other. Eventually, they are dancing so quickly, yet so effortlessly, that as you look at them, it just becomes a blur. Their individual identities are a part of a larger dance. The early church fathers and mothers looked at that dance, perichoresis, and they said, that is what the Trinity is like. It's a harmonious set of relationship in which there is mutual giving and receiving. The relationship is called love, and it's what the Trinity is all about. The perichoresis is the dance of love. So what is the choreography that God is leading us in? Some of you may say, I don't dance very well. So what does this dance look like? How might we describe it? In Acts chapter 17, Paul was in Athens, and he was in an area where there were these learned scholars and teachers and theologians who would sit and talk and and theologize and philosophize about the different gods that they believed in. And so Paul comes into Athens and he begins to tell them about this unknown God, a God that they were unfamiliar with, a God who was present on earth in the person of a Jewish man who lived in Israel, who died on a cross, was raised again to newness of life. And so as these learned scholars heard Paul talking about this new God, they said, you've got to tell us more about this God. It sounded strange to them, and to be fair, it was strange. It was new ideas that Paul was talking about. And so they put Paul on the spot, and so in Acts chapter 17, this is what Paul says to describe this God that he serves. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself and everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and history their boundaries and the lands. Listen to this. God did this so that they would seek him, perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move. We dance. We have our being, as some of your own prophets have said, we are his offspring. Paul spoke about a God to these people who didn't need anything from humans. Yahweh is not a God who needs to be served by human hands. Paul was speaking to a crowd of people who served a bunch of needy gods. Do you know any needy people in your life? You don't have to point to anyone if they're sitting with you, but these were people who were serving a bunch of needy gods, always demanding something, always demanding sacrifice or offerings or choice livestock or your firstborn child. The demand never stopped. The gods that the Athenians worshipped 
were, hard, were rarely ever appeased by human effort. And so what kind of God is this that Paul talks about who is not demanding, but instead he gives everyone life and breath and everything? Matthew 20, 28, this is what Jesus says about himself. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're talking about relationship. We're talking about perichoresis, about God in the flesh who did not come to say, hey, come and serve me. Look how special I am. Look how great and powerful I am. Everybody come and bow down. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to give life, to give life abundantly. My friends, we all, we were created in the image of divine relationship itself. We were made and we were placed here in God's temple, which we call the earth, so that we would reach out, so that we might find God and see that he is not far from any one of us. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being, and this is the truest statement about who we are this is the truest statement about who you are in this place today that you are god's offspring you are created in the image of relationship created in the image of love called to be a participant in a divine choreography a choreography of hospitality and service to others a choreography of humility not looking to our own interests, but looking to the interests of others before ourselves. A choreography that is gracious, that says, you know what, if you step out of rhythm, if you have no rhythm, if you have no flexibility, if you can't dance, there's an opportunity for you to participate. If you mess up the step, you don't have to go off stage and be ashamed. You stay there and you keep on dancing. My friends, my relationship with dancing is complicated. And I would probably say it would be the same for many of you in this room today. In closing, at the end of last school year, Eliana was invited to, well, all of the, the girls in, in the dance group that Eliana's in, they said, hey, bring your dads along to dance for one of the numbers at the spring recital. So I thought, no, yes, no, you know, I, I'm like all over the place. I don't know if I can do this. I was nervous. Surely there were going to be some other dads out there who could dance much better than me. And I remember the first recital for this daddy-daughter dance. The instructor reminded us of this. Have fun. It's not about being perfect. It's not about getting all of the moves right. This is about the relationship that you have with your daughters. That's all it's about. You getting up and trying. It's not about you staying in rhythm and impressing the crowd. It's, the, it's what's going on in that relationship between you and your daughter. The dancing was all about making memories and celebrating a relationship between a father and a daughter. Now, I didn't get every step right, um, I wasn't the most athletic dancer up there, and you don't have to worry. Some of you are thinking, are you going to quit your day job to go and become a dancer? No, 
I will not. I will not. But my friends, the dance then, the spring recital, and the dance that we are a part of as humans is not about perfection. <laughs> Thank God for that. It's not about performance. It's about relationship. This is my invitation to you today. Join the choreography. Find your worth in God's love for you. Imperfections and all. Dancing out of rhythm and all. Not getting it right. Find your worth in God's love for you. Reach out and find him. He's not far from any one of us. Join that choreography of God's love. And then tell others the good news of the love that you have found in Jesus Christ. Find yourself sitting at that table, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then scoot over and make room for others to join. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are a God of beauty, a God of love, a God of holiness, a God of purity. You are the dance of life. You created all of us to find our purpose in you. And when we look in other places in life for purpose and for happiness and for peace, they all fall short. And so today, Lord, we commit ourselves to joining in the dance. The dance that we don't always get right. The dance that sometimes goes too fast for us. The dance that we will spend the rest of our lives practicing and rehearsing until the day that you come to take us home. And so, Lord, today we join you. We look for you, we seek you, and we ask that you would dwell within us as we move and live and have our being in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>